Welcome to episode 119 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Farman, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, Dan Watkins, and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, it is time to buff or bluff one another like the filthy nerds we are. It's a TV and film version of Two Truths and a Lie. Plus, we give our first reactions to the newest Star Wars TV show on the block, Andor. Yay! <laughs> so, let's start the show. I got prematurely excited. I, I recognise the signs. Yeah. <laughs> John was doing that all the last episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And no, noting Andy's reaction to that. Yes, Andy can only ejaculate during Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> but only during good Star Wars. So it's kind of. Oh, that's know. disappointing for him. Yeah. Bo- Boss Nass doesn't do it for him. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was very Kenneth Branner. I was trying for Brian Blessed. If you want the, the sting version of tantric sex, Andy, you just got to put um, the Rise of Skywalker on. <laughs> <laughs> You're really lucky I didn't understand that joke. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, it's a sting can apparently um, hold himself for hours because he practices uh, tantric things. Tantric things? I heard John can hold himself for hours. <laughs> 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 Only because nobody will touch me. <laughs> Clean show, everyone. Clean show. <laughs> Why start now? <laughs> Sorry, Sting. So let's discuss Andor. So this is the prequel to a prequel. Yep. It is set five years before the Battle of Yavin and features the story of Cassian Andor, played by Diego Luna, and uh, his life before and as he is recruited by the Rebellion. So quite a few Star Wars shows out this year, this being one of them. Um, how are we finding it so far? I am loving it. Rogue One is my favourite Star Wars outside of the original trilogy, and I think Andor is the best Star Wars live-action TV they've had. It's much better than the very boring book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. It's much... <laughs> Which is its official title. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> very boring book yeah, of Boba Fett. A, a book I would not have finished had it been an actual book. <laughs> yeah, It's much less blatantly fanservice-y than Obi-Wan, and it's got a more compelling story and world to it than I think even The Mandalorian. It's put together by Tony Gilroy, who did a lot of writing and reshoot work on Rogue One, and it's got the feel of like an espionage war thriller to it. There's people who are just trying to live their lives under the shadow of the Empire. Cassian is one of them stealing things to try and make his way through the world. His talents are noticed by people on both sides, Mm -hmm. and it kind of goes from there. But the way that Gilroy's put it all together, the costumes, the sets, the locations, the characters, it feels like a real lived-in world that people have lived lives in this environment. You can kind of tell that. From the performances as well, there's a lot of very, very good British character actors. Yeah. There seemed to be a lot of people sounded like they were taking it seriously, if that makes yeah. sense, as mm. opposed to, oh, I'm in a Star Wars thing. It was more like they were actually acting it like it was yeah. a proper gritty thing that mattered. Which makes it feel like a very different, quite fresh kind of a Star War. Yeah. Uh, it sort of had a Blade Runner feel I couldn't quite put my finger mm. on. Something to do with the dark, noirish. Yeah, look to it's it. very, very Quite noir. sharp edge. Yeah, rain. There's a lot of rain. <laughs> there's corrupt cops. There's all sorts of yeah. things like that. It seems to have um, striked a good balance between being quite a focused story on this one character who we got to know a little bit in Rogue One, but he wasn't the main character in there. But we've also got this wider world, which is very messy. It's showing both sides of the conflict, and it shows people making compromises on both sides. It seems to have struck that balance of a nice focus story, but also says a lot about the world yeah. in general. Mm. Episode four brings more of that outside world mm-hmm. into things after the events of the first three, which work quite well as a little self-contained three-episode arc that just gets better and better as it mm-hmm. goes along. The third episode in particular is one of the best oh, bits great. of telly that there's been this year. I've only watched the first episode and I was a bit lost with what was going on. Do I need to watch Rogue One again, or does it become a bit more clear as it goes on? 
the reason that Disney released the first three all together is because they do actually work best watching the three of them in one go. If they'd done it one week at a time, I don't think it would have been as mm-hmm. well received as it has been because mm. one is very much starting to set things up. Episode two finishes setting things up and then it all kicks off in episode three. Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> Not really. There are no Sith. There are no Jedi. I love that. I'm yep. sick to the back teeth of Space Wizards and... Mm. Um, I always liked those in the original trilogy, but the main thing that was Star Wars for me was the kind of the rebellion and mm-hmm. um, the spaceships and the grimy um, kind of struggle rather than the glossy, more fucking lightsabers, um, highly choreographed dance fighting. And I, I, I hope to see no Jedi in this at all. I don't think we will. There's been a lot of new Star Wars that have come out and the creators have said this is the gritty underworld of Star Wars. There's no Skywalkers coming to save the day. And then even with things like Mandalorian, they parachute in Luke Skywalker and they throw some Jedi in there. And as amazing as he is, there is a baby Yoda by the end of the first episode. So it turns into a space wizard story. Solo, at the end of Solo, there's a hologram of Darth Maul for no particular reason, and he gets angry, and to illustrate his anger, he gets his lightsaber out and lights it up and waves it around, because people are gaga for lightsabers, and let's put some lightsabers in. Yeah, even Rogue One, as much as I love it, dropped in a Darth Vader Didn't to add some lightsaber stuff. It was a very cool Darth Vader. Oh, it's incredibly cool. It's one of my favourite Vader moments. I don't think Andor's going to do that. I don't know. I mean, Darth Vader's wandering around, isn't he? Episode four sort of makes it clear what level of the Empire we're dealing with at this point. Uh, Anton Lesser, Mm -hmm. he turns up as a bureaucrat in the Imperial Security Bureau, and he is Empire middle management. Yeah, That seems to be the level that the Rebellion is having to deal with at this moment. Overbearing, bureaucratic, Imperial nightmares who won't leave you alone, but are nowhere near the level of answering directly to the Emperor. Good. It's a different focus. It's a different level. It's street level, Star Wars. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I was listening to uh, an Empire podcast interview with the, with the creator, and he was saying that he was initially approached and, you know, what kind of story would you come up with for this particular era? And he went away and, and came up with this, but he said it was so far beyond anything that Star Wars had ever done before. And you know, it was this really, really different, different story. And he's like, there's absolutely no way they're going to go for it. Um, and so things happened because they were, they were going to go for a different story, I think. But then they came back to him a year or two later and said, actually, we want to be brave. We want to do this. Mm-hmm. Possibly they were realizing they need to extend it out and broaden it instead of doing the same story every time. Mm-hmm. I was surprised how adult it is, actually. So, you know, yeah. you, you know the first scene's set in a brothel. Mm-hmm. I guess Jabba's palace was a bit sexy. <laughs> I mean, it depends on your feelings yes. on the huts, but yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's that tongue of his, isn't it, John? Oh, yep. Yep. <laughs> there is no judgment here. Whatever, no, whatever you're into. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great demonstration of how to do adult in a less obvious way. It's actually mm-hmm. kind of adult in tone rather than the Game of Thrones approach, which is put some tits in it and some swearing and brutal, bloody violence. Yay. <laughs> adult for teenagers. Yeah, it feels grown up, but still there's a really cute, really lovely droid in it. Oh, there who is. I want to be his friend. He's so nice. Oh. He's a bit silent running, if that if you, anybody mm. remembers yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huey, Dewey and Louie. Mm-hmm. DuckTales. They're know. named after Donald Duck's nephews, oh, but they're, right. oh, okay, they're three sorry. little tiny robots who go around and maintain the ship. Ah. Oh. Do you think because there's so much t- uh, Star Wars TV and film coming out over the next few years, that this series doesn't need to be everything to, to all people? So we can afford for this one to have a certain genre and not have to be other things as well. I think so. I think it's them taking advantage of being on streaming. You don't have to have watched Obi-Wan to watch Andor. You don't have to have watched Andor to watch The Mandalorian. You can sort of pick and choose the ones that you like the look of. And if you want Jedi, there's the Jedi animated shorts coming out later this year. Yeah. uh, yeah. And I think they were going to try that once Disney initially took over with films and quickly realised that actually in a movie sense, you can't quite take those same risks. Mm. But with streaming, they can keep on making it and people will watch it yeah. or people might not, but they'll probably watch the next thing. But the films have gone off a cliff. There's, there was a bunch of stuff announced and they've either been cancelled or um, they're on permanent hiatus. Mm. So there's the 
Taika Waititi one, which nope. no one. Yep. yep. Um, <laughs> the Rogue One Squadron movie is that gone? Gone. Okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, uh, postponed, but with no re-dating. Because oh, everyone really liked the trailer look of that. Ryan Johnson's nope. trilogy cancelled. Yeah. I mean, he, he says he says <laughs> he says he's still up for doing it. Yeah. But there's uh, no sign. I'd rather have more nice Nine, art movies. Nicer. You didn't like that. A monster. <laughs> There's David Benioff and D.B. Weiss's... Uh, nope. Yep, mm-hmm. cancelled. <laughs> There's um, Star Wars Origins Binks. That's been cancelled. <laughs> no, I'm making that up. I no know. Wow. Was know. that insane? Oh, how would? <laughs> Why do we think so many of these things have been cancelled? Have they got cold feet? Have they run out of money? I asked have they decided people don't care about Star Wars anymore? I think they're probably just getting more money off the streaming. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy said after the latest one that they were going to just take a breather and just kind of try and figure mm-hmm. things out a little bit. I think Solo didn't do well. And then Rise of Skywalker got Critically panned. panned, yeah. yeah. We're used to Star Wars being a treat that you get every couple of years yeah. and it being almost annual yeah. was, was yeah. just too much. Well, that, that was like. the plan. Uh, there will be a new Star Wars every year for the rest of our lifetimes and beyond. And within a few years, it was like, no, maybe not. Um, yeah. But there's six six Star Wars TV shows coming out next year. Wow. And still another one to go this yeah. year. Originally, they had a five series planned for it. And now they're doing a second and last series. Of, because of, of what? Andor. Of, yeah. of Andor. Yeah, so yeah. Th- this first series is 12 episodes that are set, like Hazel said, five years before mm. the events of Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And season two, which will be another 12 episodes is four years before, three years before, two years before, one year before, mm-hmm. and then you're led yeah. in. But they were originally like all going to be separate pitch. series, weren't they? But I think Diego mm. Luna didn't want to commit to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he is great in Andor. Yeah, like, he's just, just walking around the town in that really cool red coat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Soller as uh, Agent Cyril Khan, I think he's called. Khan! <laughs> um, yeah, first name of the bad guy of the raccoons, second name <laughs> of the bad guy of Star Trek, is a very bad guy. And he is... An excellent snivelling villain. Ooh. Oh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. Can't wait. More Andor. Andor what? A. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing this in Newcastle on Sunday that we come out, you will just have the chance to come and hear us record an episode live in front of Ooh. lots of people. Ooh. Am I going to have to put clothes on? <laughs> oh. I'm afraid we insist. Damn it. I also insist now. <laughs> okay, just give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> and where where will you see us live, Pia? This will be at the Boiler House on Sunday the 9th of October. That's today, if you're listening to this on Sunday the 9th yeah, of October. Get wow. Get out of bed. It's right now, it's happening. Come on, where are you? And what will we be doing there, Peter? We'll be recording a show live and we'll also go around and find lots of interesting people to interview. For instance, the guy who owns a Ghostbusters vehicle and all the other sorts of weird things they bring to these sort of shows. Lots of stalls which have sort of spooky stuff and nerdy stuff. Sounds scary. Mm. <laughs> and there'll also be a floor with lots of computer games, mainly retro games. Some of which you wrote. Some of which I may have written, yes. <laughs> so, John, are you going to be able to actually do the live show or will you be too busy playing the retro games? I will be too busy playing the retro <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah, come and see us. Live. Ooh. Unless you listen to the podcast. After the after, 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 yeah. yeah. But we will be releasing it as an episode, so you'll still be able to hear us. You just won't be able to see us in person unless Heckle you know be where in the we room live. Where it happens, Peter's going to cut the Hamilton reference I know. out, isn't he? Of course yeah. he is. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done that in a while. Trying to take over the podcast with Hamilton stuff. You were actually dressed like someone out of Hamilton last week, weren't you, Dan? Yes, I was. Was there a reason for this? Uh, yes, I was part of a Boho Arts charity event in the town of Hexham to celebrate 800 years of them having a market charter. So they held a time traveller's flash mob in the marketplace. And Boho was part of this. What is a time traveller's flash mob? Where people appear in the marketplace, tell a tale from Hexham's history, then disappear and someone else comes and tells a different story. So we were there to tell three historical tales and I was the storyteller. So Ian of this podcast fame brought me a very nice Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast style wig and a nice big purple coat and a fancy waistcoat and I felt a little bit like uh, I was dressed like Jefferson from mm-hmm. Hamilton. Yeah. With the hair of George III. I loved how he turned up with this stuff that he owned and nobody batted an eye. Yeah, I've just got a big massive beehive. Yep. Wig. <laughs> dressed like fake royalty. I know nothing of loyalty. <laughs> 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 
Right, bluff or bluff? Yay! Yay! So, this is when we have three facts. Two of them are true, one of them is not, and we're going to try and work out which one is the bluff. Dan, you haven't been with us for a while. Why don't you start us off? Uh, This is a buff or bluff about script doctors. Mm. Uh, Usually uncredited writers called in to help to improve or fix movies, working on the dialogue, the characters, the jokes, or other parts of the story. Some quite big names have taken the role of script doctors over the years, but which of these three facts about them is a bluff? Number one, script doctors for Michael Bay's third best film, The Rock, included Quentin Tarantino... And Aaron Sorkin. Number two. Donald Glover worked on the script for Spider-Man Homecoming, specifically the jokes, and got a cameo part in the film as thanks for his script doctoring. And number three. Carrie Fisher was considered one of Hollywood's best script doctors during the 90s, but one of her last jobs in that role was working on Ryan Johnson's script for Star Wars The Last Jedi, which came out sadly after her death. Mm Mm-hmm. So which script doctor has got a fake medical license? I need to know which two Michael Bay films you think are better than, mm. than The Rock. Armageddon and The Island. The Island? I love The Island. I think it's oh, brilliant. That's a weird choice. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it. You McGregor, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, going to the cinema to see it for my birthday one year and it was just a fun chase adventure film with lots of explosions. And it is silly and it is nonsense. And objectively, it's probably not a great film, but I think it's really fun. And Sean Bean's the baddie. It's got Michael Clark Duncan in it. What's not to like? Sean Bean's always the baddie. Yeah. Pretty sure that's true with The Rock. Aaron Sorkin and Quentin Tarantino. Just trying to think, is it Quentin Tarantino? I mean, he did Hunt for Red October, didn't he, in a few other films around that time. But I don't yeah. know if The mm-hmm. Rock is a bit too late. Um, when did The Rock come out? Was that 96? 98, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. I... I, I th- 99% sure Aaron Sorkin is true. Quentin Tarantino does ring a bell. Never, I'm, I'm going to call that one true. I never made it to the end of The Rock, um, but does it include barefoot uh, walk and talks shot at ground level? <laughs> does Quentin Tarantino watch Die Hard or he wants to, mm. to wank? This was, before, <laughs> this was before the walk and talk was invented uh, in the West Wing. The West Wing came out in 99. Yeah. And, and don't think the walk and talk was a Sorkin creation. I think it was Tommy Kale you who came up back. with the idea. You take that back. <laughs> but that's what Sorkin said. I know. I'm fairly sure <laughs> I know the, the the Carrie Fisher one. I think that's right. Yeah. I think she punched up some lines on it. Yeah, but if I'm she, sure I'm pretty that. sure that's right. If she had helped with the script, wouldn't the film have been less terrible? Well, she also helped with the prequels, so you mm, know. Yeah. This oh is last, Je- last Jedi. How, how more this terrible is last Jedi. it would have been? George Lucas would be in prison. <laughs> this is the good one. I mean, look what happened when she wasn't there to punch up. Somehow, Palpatine returned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somehow. Somehow. Yeah. Remind us of the middle one. Donald Glover worked as a script doctor for Spider-Man Homecoming, punching up the jokes, and he got a cameo part as thanks. I know he's in it. Oh, I forget the character's name, um, but it's someone who is the uh, Night Prowler or something like yeah. that. Yes, um, so- um, Aaron Davis, uncle of Miles Morales mm-hmm. of... Spider-Verse. That's the one. So I was expecting that that was being seeded for him as a fairly big name, being um, potentially in a subsequent film. So I reckon Well, that Andy, one it might have been, but remember, it's much more important to have nostalgia for unrelated stuff that came out 20 years ago. Yay, no way home. <laughs> you, you, you enjoyed Star Wars Episode 7, though, so get some cognitive dissonance here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that was thir- the that was- Millennium Falcon, yay! That was 30 years, not 20. <laughs> Give me a break. Well, since I think the first one and the third one are true, I kind of have to go with that one for, because I'm not, I'm not sure about it, but I don't know, I feel like you're messing with my mind with the first one, because mm. you know I'd know about Aaron Sorkin, but then do I know about Aaron Sorkin? Why am I questioning myself? Yes. I've lost my mind, is my answer. I'm thinking of the stuff that Donald Glover's been involved in as a writer, which really is mm. probably just Atlanta. And I can't think of anything that he's written that is tonally similar to that film. And whether he'd be somebody who would come in and just punch up jokes and stuff doesn't feel like a particularly Donald Glover thing to do. Well, there was a lot of talk when he was in Community about him being a Spider-Man. Mm. So there's a Community movie coming out. 
Mm-hmm. Being yeah. green, green lit, which probably only me and Peter are excited about. Six seasons mm. in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shame about the last two seasons. Mm. <laughs> All right. I'm going uh, with Donald Glover as a bluff. I'm torn between the first two. Yeah. But they both famously did script doctoring work, so I'm going to go with Donald Glover being the bluff also. I'm going to go for Carrie Fisher, Last Jedi, because I expect she would have said, why the fuck am I flying through space like Superman? Take that out. (laughs) I am going to go for the first one, just to be different. Oh, very good. Well, the Donald Gloverers are correct. That was a fake. Tarantino and Sorkin both did script doctoring on The Rock. And I learned that from the Empire 500 Nick Cage ranking episode mm-hmm. that Andy, Andy and Hazel were at. I, th- I knew it. So <laughs> I, I, I thought you'd have got that one straight away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ryan Johnson did say that when he, he was writing The Last Jedi, he'd go around to Carrie Fisher's house and they would just sit and work on the script for hours at a time. And Donald Glover did not work on the Spider-Man Homecoming script, but he and his brother did do some work on the script for Black Panther. Oh, and nice. they're thanked for it in the credits. Mm. <laughs> right, who's next? I can go next. Okay. Are we ready to go into space? Scary, <laughs> dangerous space. Oh, no. Not safe, fluffy space. No. <laughs> Imagine meeting a monster in space. No. So, lots of horror film franchises get a bit silly as they go on. Mm. And, yeah, and they run out of ideas and one of the things they tend to do when they run out of ideas is send their monsters into space. So there's a lot of franchises with spacey episodes in them. When you say spacey, you don't mean Kevin. No. Good. I mean, I mean, <laughs> not that scary. <laughs> not, not that scary monster. <laughs> okay, so these are three film franchise sequels which sent their monsters into space. Okay. Two of these are real things. One of them is made up. Number one, the fourth Hellraiser film sent Pinhead into space in the future, where he turned up on a spaceship that actually turned out to be a giant version of the cube that unleashes him in the previous movies. But it just looked like a big Borg ship. No, it looked like a normal ship, and then they trapped him in it, and then it all twisted around and turned around to reveal it was, in fact, just a giant cube that trapped him in light. Did they get the idea from Superman 2? They didn't get it from anywhere good. <laughs> um, secondly, a episode of the TV series Freddy's Nightmares was set in 1960s America where Freddy Krueger haunted the people working on the space shuttle launch. In the end, they subdue him and send him into space in a rocket And then at the conclusion of the episode, we see the moon landing footage with Neil Armstrong coming down in black and white, cutting away to a black and white Freddy attacking the astronauts in their uniform, and then cut to credits. Freddy Krueger on the moon. Uh Did Freddy have a space helmet on? No, he was just, he had his fedora on, which presumably gave (laughs) magic breathing properties. Obviously. And finally, we have the 10th Friday the 13th film, which sent Jason Voorhees into space. Jason is caught in Camp Crystal Lake. They spend two years trying to kill him before cryogenically freezing him, having realised he's unable to die. 500 years later, his cryogenic body is brought aboard a spaceship where he's defrosted, amalgamates with the computer to become Cyber Jason and goes on a killing spree. Like Superman 3? Yes. (laughs) Okay. I know that Jason did... Go to space yes. at one point. Really? Yeah. I thought that yeah, was yeah. totally bullshit. I know it's a tenth one as well, because it's called Jason X. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn and the first one, I don't know if I'm getting confused with Borg images here, but it does kind of make sense. No, it doesn't. To any extent that these things do. Yeah. Hellraiser 4, uh, who was it that sent Pinhead into space? Um, the guy who is the descendant of the guy who first created the puzzle cube. Is it Pinhead that goes to space or does the cube go to space and then they do a thing that opens the cube and then the Hellraisers come out or something? I think that's what happens, yeah. So I think they take the cube into space, use the cube to bring out Pinhead. Okay, I think... And then trap him in space. 
this is the bluff because John just said, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I know oh, he would know about Hellraiser 4, <laughs> yeah, so I think he's I'm making this up. Also, he knows that none of us give a shit about the Hellraiser series. <laughs> Hellraiser 5 is surprisingly yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so he knows we wouldn't have a clue, but yeah, he just gave away. Yeah. He's going to be insufferable when the new Hellraiser comes out. he described this in detail to us. Uh, in a previous episode and still none of us care enough to remember <laughs> I lost like interest even when he was just yeah. re- re- talking about that <laughs> have you seen that, um, have you actually seen the reviews for the new one no like crazy good people okay. have seen it reckon it's amazing cool 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 cool, cool, you're, cool, cool. For, you're gonna watch that <laughs> I mean, it's on Disney Plus so Freddy's Nightmares um, Freddy Krueger goes to the moon and attacks Neil Armstrong um, I mean that sounds like the kind of wacky shit that Freddy Krueger would get up to yeah, I mean, the TV series was terrible. It lasted two seasons, and most episodes were kind of like Twilight's his own episodes with Freddy Krueger as the Rod Serling figure who would pop up at the beginning and the end, and then pop up maybe in the middle just to kill somebody, because Robert England could do the, put the makeup on and do 10 in a day. But then there was three or four episodes per series, which were like proper Freddy Krueger, Nightmare and Elm Street stories. I don't um, say Brad Pitt was in an early one, but no, Johnny Depp. Memory. You think John, of... no, Johnny Depp was, was in the, the first movie. film. I've lost interest. <laughs> um, did they still have to be asleep for Freddy to attack them? Because I can't imagine Neil Armstrong had a little nap while he was on the moon. They kind of abandoned the logic after the first couple. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I speak it... as someone who has watched the first Nightmare on Elm Street, and that is it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, maybe the second one. I think in the second one they pull him out of the dreams into the real world. Watch the Simpsons one where it's Groundskeeper Willie being Freddy Krueger. That, that is excellent. Any help. But I, I, I think it's Hellraiser it's 4. Hellraiser, Hellraiser 4 is my, is my bluff because there's no way that John can't recall that intimately. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with Freddy's Nightmares, the middle one. Oh, it's got to be Hellraiser 4. Yeah. Three Hellraisers and I'm going to be right eventually if I just go with the one <laughs> I genuinely don't think it is. So who said what, sorry? It's uh, three Hellraisers and Peter's gone for Freddy. Uh, Peter is correct. No! <laughs> <laughs> that one did sound like the most fun one of the three. Yes. And therefore came from your imagination and not the coked out minds that do Hellraiser sequels. <laughs> Hellraiser 4 is an Alan Smithy film. Oh. Um, it was taken away and re-edited and it's like a portmanteau. 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 Combination. Almost like those amicus horror films of the 60s and things like that. So it starts with the spaceship and then you you get a flashback to medieval France, I think, where Pinhead appears and then the present day and then the last third is set in the future. It's awful. Killed the franchise, stunned it. It was the last one to get a cinematic release. Before the surprisingly good Hellraiser 5. <laughs> yeah. In the pantheon of Hellraiser films, where would you rank Hellraiser 4? I would go one, two, three... Five, seven, four, six, eight, nine, ten. God, so there's four that are worse than that shite that you just described. Yes. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Portmanteau sounds like an injury you'd get on the set of Black Swan. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, shall I get next? Because I have a, a, yeah. a segue from that. Oh, have you? I do. Ah. I do. So um, I'm sure you're all as excited as I am that uh, Strictly Come Dancing is back. Uh, yes, I thought Ellie was very good. Season last night five was surprisingly with her good. Waltz. There's two Ellies. Oh, the one that wasn't nice on bluff. Ted Lasso. Yes, the swimmer. <laughs> yes, she's yes. great. So to celebrate, I have a buff or bluff on famous dancers and dancers. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Before you start, I was on Strictly once. Were you? Yeah, I'm on a VT, and uh, and the final from quite a lot of mm. years ago. They came to my work, and I had to film like a to camera thing saying who I thought would win. Cool. Yeah. You're, oh, yeah. You're yeah. one of those people that they talk to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been on Strictly Me. Oh. Know all about it. Excellent. It's dangerously mainstream for Nerdfest podcast. Some people like that. <laughs> okay. So famous dancers and dancers, dancers and dancers. Okay. Number one, Gene Kelly's last on screen dance was a disco inspired dance in an episode of Battlestar Galactica. Wow. <laughs> Number two. Was he shaking his booty booty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Saturday Night Fever. Uh, so that poster of John Travolta in the white suit, you know, one arm pointing up, one arm pointing down. That is the iconic pose. It wasn't choreographed. It was actually an afterthought at the end of a long day of filming. And uh, in number three, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. 
there is a musical number called The Toy Dance, which involved Dick Van Dyke on a long piece of string, effectively, yeah. Dan's doing, Dan's demoing it. No on me. <laughs> and like puppet artists are like pulling him around. One of the child actors, Adrian Hall, um, he was doing his first screen role as Jeremy Potts. He saw this for the first time on set and Dick Van Dyke decided to play a prank on him by playing the puppet and then jumping out and scaring him. As a result, Adrian no longer wanted to act next to Dick Van Dyke for the rest of the film. So you always see someone in between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you about the time I went to a disappointing orgy with Dick Van Dyke? <laughs> God. <sighs> it was a pretty shitty gangbang. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the episode title. <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> Um, so Gene Kelly and the Cylons. Gene Kelly, yes. Now so, this is the seventies Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, this not is, the deadly serious. Yeah, definitely uh, not. one. Yeah, this was, on. uh, he was eighty, I believe, and it was about nineteen seventy-nine. Do we have any context within the episode? Because I assume the general plot of Battlestar Galactica was the same for the original as the remake like mm. humans fighting cylons but yeah they were basically fleeing earth as just a fleet going through space mm. yeah and if you were fleeing earth you'd take gene kelly with you i suppose yeah, that, yeah if you had limited space gene kelly would be like <laughs> like in that <laughs> top, top of the, the list up, like in that don't look up he'd be on the spaceship yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's really I mean, weird american tv at that time did often have weird guest stars okay. and mm. not entirely out of character yeah. I mean, anyone's seen the Star Wars holiday special knows. Like, yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. The jump to roll, that's the, yeah. the up and down arm movement mm. for staying alive. Yeah. That is the yeah. iconic yeah. disco yeah. pose. I mean, yeah. the dis- yeah. there's a little disco dancer emoji, isn't there? And that's what yeah. the emoji yeah. is doing. So basically, it was, yeah, it was at the end of a long day, like 14, 15 hours, and the director said to him, okay, that's great. Uh, have you got anything else? And he was like, oh, this. And uh, yeah, it was like, it became the iconic shot and John Travolta had said afterwards, like, I cannot believe they chose that shot, but everyone just loved it. Mm. Mm. I can believe that. Disco stew likes disco music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Go stew <laughs> doesn't advertise. <laughs> so that's two disco facts. Mm-hmm. What was the third one again? Chitty chitty bang bang. That's not disco. That's puppet that's probably music. That's yeah. puppets and child abuse. Yeah, so the child catcher didn't scare the kid, but Dick Van Dyke did. <laughs> That's exactly. very believable. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think because he'd acted alongside um, Dick Van Dyke as his kind of father figure, and, and then he just like decided to scare the shit out of him. I think he was like, how could you do that to me, daddy? <laughs> but the, the child catcher terrified me as a kid. Oh, I think my parents may have um, used that as leverage. <laughs> the misbehaviour I'm going to go with the chitty chitty bang bang one because I think it would be a pain in the ass to keep them all separate all the way through the filming it wasn't separate it was just um, he just like I'm mm. not standing next to him I think it's Gene <laughs> Kelly and the Cylons okay yeah I'm going for Gene Kelly Robo Disco as well I'm going for John Travolta because it's just such an iconic part of the film and so ingrained Although, actually, yeah, it's, it's like one of those accidents, isn't it? And there was some good, interesting backstory that Hazel either found or made up. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it could be any of them. I'm going to go, just to be different, I'm going to go for John Travolta. All right. Well, Peter's continuing his streak, because he is right. <gasps> hey! Chitty, chitty, bang, man, I made that completely up. Although, you never know, it could be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. hope you watched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and just looked for how often there was a person between the two of them, just for added verification. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did do some Google imaging, and okay. I just thought, oh, there's Jemima in the middle there. Ha <laughs> ha! I'll use that. <laughs> yeah, uh, age 80, 1979, he um, performed his last song and dance on uh, the Battle Scar Galactica. And uh, yeah, John DeVolta is like, yeah, he's at a period of, I think that shoot was pretty troubling because I, 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 there was a couple of facts I might have used from Saturday Night Fever. I think um, someone like threw a smoke bomb and like John DeVolta was on oxygen after a while because like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, so I think it was quite a, a, a tricky, tricky shoot. But yeah, at, this, at the end of the day, he just went, huh. <laughs> 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 and, and, the <laughs> and the world changed. And the world changed. Has anyone seen the sequel? 
Stay, Staying Alive, yeah. directed by Sylvester that was, that was That was going to be my fact. Mm. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone directed a sequel, which is apparently one of the worst films ever made, but I've mm. not seen it. Also another fact is that um, Saturday Night Fever is associated with the Bee Gees, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't have the rights when they were filming it. So they were, I uh, can't remember the name of the songs that they used, but they were not Bee Gees songs. That must have been a difficult shoot then if they didn't have the music, like, like in the film and the disco sequences without the final music. Yeah. In terms of editing and choreographing well, I, that. I once was doing, a, I was doing music for this sort of Chippendales type video. And <laughs> they knew what they were going to film and they knew what tempo it was. So I had to write mm. songs to be the right tempo so that they could do the same dances to them and had all the changes in the same place. So you can actually do it if you write it for that. And where can we find this video? <laughs> <laughs> Called Adonis Men of Hollywood. Only fans. Oh. <laughs> There's only one copy. When Peter said he was asked to do it, he insisted. All right. Wrote the theme tune, danced in it. <laughs> Two rounds to go. My facts are all about Marvel themed theme park rides. Before Disney bought Marvel, Universal Studios signed up Marvel heroes to be a major attraction for their Islands of Adventure theme park. But my first fact is that Universal had originally wanted DC heroes like Batman and Superman after the phenomenal success of Tim Burton's Batman movie, but that deal fell through, so they struck a deal with Marvel to populate Superhero Island with their characters. There were various smaller licenses in the years before Disney, such as Wonderland Sydney and a stint of live shows at Thorpe Park, but the Marvel Experience was an indoor park in Las Vegas in the mid-2000s. It featured standard rides rethemed around Iron Man and Hulk, and a Spider-Man experience set on the rooftops of New York with large screens showing the city around you as Spidey guided you to safety, through an adult adventure playground, all the while chased by Green Goblin, Doc Ock and Electro. It included a crossing between roofs across nets made to look like webs, with the drop disappearing off into blackness below you, but it was only three feet down and had a massive black air cushion underneath. And. Hong Kong Disneyland now includes rethemed versions of three Disney rides an Iron Man version of Star Tours, where you're a visitor to Stark Expo, an Ant Man version of Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters, which is a dark ride shooting game, and Avengers Assemble Flight Force, a dark roller coaster adapted from the Aerosmith Rock and Roller Coaster. Which mm. one did I make mm. up? I know that Disneyland Paris has just opened the Avengers Campus. And it has two big rides on there, mm-hmm. which are a Spider-Man themed dark ride, which is like the Buzz Lightyear laser blast where you shoot webs, thwip thwip. And they did replace the rock and roller coaster with Avengers Flight Force, yeah. where you're helping Iron Man and Captain Marvel zoom it, through um, the cosmos. Does Iron Man have a French accent? I think I heard like Bonjour, yeah. je suis it's, um, it's part of the agreement to have Disneyland in France is that a certain amount of what you have has to be in French. Yeah. So I think Brie Larson is talking as herself. Yeah. And then it's, Bonjour, je suis Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think yeah. so what they do is so. they, they speak and she always speaks in English. He always speaks yeah. in French. And her lines are all like, so you're saying blah, 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 blah. She repeats it in English. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, part of the, that's part of the charm of Paris Disneyland. Please I mean, tell me like they've that. rebranded Captain America as well. <laughs> I've, not, I've not been I'd like to go but if they've done that at Disneyland Paris mm-hmm. it would follow that they might have done mm. something similar at Hong Kong I know in Disneyland Hollywood California one they've rethemed the Tower of Terror to be Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. but they can't do that at the one in Florida it would follow that Universal were able to buy all these licenses for the rides because the 90s mm-hmm. was when Marvel just sold everything to everyone yeah, so. DC is Six Flags, I think, in America. Yes. Yeah, so they've got like a Batman coaster and a Superman coaster. And the third one is the Las Vegas Marvel thing, which mm. sounds really fun, mm. like yeah, running I've around been, the rooftops with one. Spider-Man. You've been to it? The uh, It's with uh, Hawkeye. Hmm. Hmm. I was not aware that existed. I was going to say that's a bluff because I've been to Vegas and whereabouts is it? It's near Treasure Island. Uh, this isn't a thing that's there now. This was in the uh, early 2000s. I don't, oh, know okay. if it, I don't think it's still yeah, there Yeah, I wasn't there oh, it's about not called three that years now. ago. Okay. Mm. Well, it would have been shortly after the Sam Raimi Spider-Man film started. So it would have been in the public consciousness and a good cash-in. Yeah, Doc Ock, Green Goblin. Sounds like a health and safety nightmare. Does a bit, doesn't it? Apparently it gave them <laughs> um, lots of problems. So what they did is they, they split it up into different parties 
So each party that goes across is sent a slightly different way and they have four copies of the same thing. And that's because they knew every so often someone will panic and not go across <laughs> the net. That's a good level of detail. Mm. <laughs> they all sound plausible. I am going to go with the Hong Kong Disneyland one because I think sneakily it's Paris, not Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, that was my first thought when I heard that. I'm like, oh, that sounds like the Disneyland one. Yeah, and I'm mm. hopeful that Pete, Peter's going to end this by going, and we've all got tickets and we're all going to go and see <laughs> the Avengers campus and it'll be really fun. <laughs> Right? I wish. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go for the DC one, just because I think Six Flags have had that license for a long time. I'm going to go for um, Spider Vegas. Okay. John is incorrect. It Damn was it. down to um, Six Flags basically got the deal. Mm-hmm. And Hong Kong <laughs> Disneyland does include all those rides. Oh. The one I made up was the one in Vegas. Mm, have you looked under your seat, Dan? You'll see there's <laughs> fuck all there. <laughs> let, let it be known for the record, I did look under my seat <laughs> just in case. Mm. I actually thought people would think, oh, that's too small scale. Surely Marvel wouldn't license the thing like that. But there was a thing a bit like that called Marvel Adventure City in Niagara Falls that was similar to the sort of thing I described. Mm. So what's the Hawkeye thing? It's a kind of a, a museum. It's got lots of the costumes and, and props, but Hawkeye kind of gives you a challenge to defeat Ultron. So it was around the time that Ultron came out, well, actually a few years before, so a few things were out of date. But yeah, you get to kind of pick a character and then Hawkeye recruits you. And Is this the Avengers station mm. that they had at the XL in London a few years ago? Similar. Yeah, similar, yeah. similar. I don't know. if I can't remember if it's called Station. I don't think it was, but Station. It's, station. <laughs> Sorry, thirty-two. But it's yeah, it's, it's uh, oh jeez, uh, it's very similar to that. You haven't yeah. had one for two weeks, John. <laughs> Surprisingly full. Been taking lessons from Sting. <laughs> Andy, bring us home with your buff or bluff. Uh, the London Film Festival is fast approaching. Mm. I'm very excited. There's lots Quick, of. Quick, get films. out of the way. <laughs> Lots of films I want to see, um, and top of that list is The Whale, which marks the kind of high-profile leading performance return of uh, Sir Brendan of Fraser, which is Woo-hoo. wonderful. We're all very, very happy for him and can't wait to see the film. And in honour of uh, The Whale, um, I'm going to give you the synopses of three films that just have very tenuous connections to whales, Yay. one of which <laughs> is a stupid thing I made up. This is exciting. <laughs> so number one is uh, Reykjavik Whale Watching Massacre. Oh, it's, oh. Uh, it's an Icelandic oh, he ruined, he ruined plot. It. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a 2009 Icelandic horror in which tourists on a whale watching excursion are stranded when their ship breaks down at sea, only to be rescued by a whaling vessel. But the family of crazed redneck whalers, or fish billies... as they are referred to are angry at having just lost their business due to environmentalists and begin to exact a bloody revenge on the hapless group with harpoons and that bluff (laughs) like the Texas whaling massacre exactly (laughs) in fact there's an Icelandic actor who uh, played Leatherface in at least one film and uh, he appears in this as a ship captain extra detail must be true um (laughs) Number two, The Modern Day Jonah. This is a 2013 Netflix documentary about a Korean man who emerged from the mouth of a dead sperm whale that had washed up on Stinson Beach north of San Francisco in the 1950s. He claimed to be a fisherman from Busan who had fallen from his boat and was swallowed whole by the whale eight weeks previously. Many people believed him and he went on to become a local celebrity and Christian preacher. The film tells the story of an investigation into who he really was and how he ended up in the whale's mouth. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And number three, The Island at the Top of the World. It's a 1974 Disney fantasy adventure film. It's 1907 and a rich man organises an expedition to the Arctic in search of his missing son who disappeared while trying to find the fabled island where whales go to die. After flying north in a blimp with a French aeronaut and an Eskimo guide, they discover an uncharted island named Astragard, inhabited by a lost civilization of Vikings. They find the missing son, escape near certain death at the hands of angry Norsemen, and locate the whale's graveyard where they are subsequently, and probably rightly, attacked by a pod of killer whales. Now. Oh, you would better not have made that up because that sounds like the greatest <laughs> no, film I've no. ever seen. That sounds like Thor 5. <laughs> Tiger's let loose again. Andy loves blimps. 
So there's a blimp in that story, which means there probably didn't need to be, therefore, bluff. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's a fascinating fact that I've just learnt. Can someone make the film, though, if it's not real? Korean man pretending to be Jonah. I like the sound of that. I think that's got to be true. I'm, I'm trying to find a, a, a fish pun for um, train to Busan. Bream to Busan? No. Train to Poisson? Poisson. Yeah, that's quite good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I like that one. That's, that's fun. Mm. And then the Icelandic. The fish billies. It's got to be blimp. I refuse to believe it. It's his default line. Like, how do you want to get there, blimp? <laughs> <laughs> The title sounds familiar, though. It's a very generic title. Mm, mm. But it's a very 1970s Disney sort of a film. Mm-hmm. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just based on, you know, the likes of Unidentified Flying Oddball or One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing and that sort of ilk. It's quite believable. He spent a long time working on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I know this. Ah, fish billies. No, I believe that one. I do believe that one. Blimp. I know one of them is true. Mm. Oh, okay. Hang on. I'll retract until I hear it. <laughs> um, but I'm going to let Peter go first. Oh. Um, so now I think which one might you know was true? Is I think it the one, Texas Chainsaw Massacre I think that's connection, more likely maybe. be the one he would know was yeah. true because it's rubbish enough for him to watch it. Although it was, far, it was foreign, wasn't it? It was Icelandic. Icelandic yeah. Maybe less likely he'd watch it. Yeah, I'm going to go fish billies. I'm going for the last one. Uh, the island at the top of the world. Yeah, yeah. me too. Mm. Two islands and two fish billies. Oh. You know the guy that ended up in the whale's mouth? Was it a sex thing? <laughs> <laughs> I think he was um, an illegal immigrant who was trying to um, come up with an explanation for how he'd arrived on shore and, and mm-hmm. the, the celebrity it gained him. kind of. And he got a job in Hollywood as a scriptwriter for his imagination. And, Correct. And he's now very famous. No, because you're all wrong, because that's the one I made up. Oh! But, but this that means... does mean the blimp is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to watch it tonight. The island at the top of the world is real, and it is on Disney+. Plus. I'm absolutely going to watch it tonight. <laughs> that middle one sounds so much like the shite you watch a movie. It's unbelievable. <laughs> there are stories of people not, be, not being swallowed by whales, but um, there was a story of, I think it was 2015 or so, in uh, Cape Cod, which is off Massachusetts or somewhere. Yeah. Um, where um, a lobster diver was um, not swallowed, but engulfed by the mouth of a humpback whale mm. and then spat out. Um, so there are stories of this, but mm. um, I don't think, even in the 50s, people wouldn't be so stupid as to believe that, oh yeah, this this Korean guy who hasn't been dissolved by stomach acid, has, he's been inside a whale for two months. Yeah. Well, I don't know, there was that boy in Italy and his dad who got eaten by the whale. Uh, I mean, he was a puppet at the time, but he became a yeah. boy. Um, so are you going to see the whale at a LFF screening? We are. Yes, we've got tickets already. Yes, we're, um, we're going to Matilda. Oh, the... The Roald film, the film of, of Tim Minchin's musical. Mm-hmm. If it's half as good as the musical, it should be really, really good. And I think we're going to the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Oh, yeah. I so want to see that. that yeah. I'm really good. looking mm. forward to that. And Glass Onion, Don't Tell Andy. <laughs> oh, can I come? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's half half price. Sunday, it's five pound a ticket. Really? Yeah, ridiculous value. Mm. When when when's the film festival on? Uh, London Film Festival runs through to the end of next week, and lots of local independent cinemas, mm. film house in Edinburgh, Tyneside, and Newcastle, um, are showing screenings of the films that are screening at the festival. So yeah. you get to see the film, but without red carpets and stars yeah. appearing. So you might not get to see Brendan Fraser in the flesh, but you can watch his new film. Excellent. I actually have a signed VHS pre-certificate version um, of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre signed by Gunnar Hansen, the star of Vekjevik Whale. <laughs> Whale watching Massacre. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't realise, you know, I, I actually only have that because I didn't have a copy of the Whale watching film <laughs> <laughs> available. And so I think it was the first film he'd done in a long, long time. I, I think he kind of he did Texas and then wasn't really an actor. And then he came back just to do that and then died shortly afterwards. But he's a, a very, very nice guy. Hmm, lovely. Lovely. 
That is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. As we mentioned, our next episode is going to be live, which is very exciting. So it's the first live episode we've done since the pandemic. I think it's so, yeah. Which is the only one we did do. So 2019, I think, was our last live episode. So if you are heading to Nerd Fright Fest on the 9th of October, we'll be recording a show, interviewing people. So come along and say hello. Uh, And if you're not, you'll be able to listen back to our live shenanigans in the episode that we will release afterwards. Until then, you can follow us on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And you can also leave us a review, which we'd be very grateful for. John, exactly how grateful are we? Oh, incredibly grateful. Mm. Yes, I will um, come up to your house Mm -hmm. and I will perform my very, very special one-man performances of all three films from Andy's Before Bluff. <laughs> Can you give us the first line? That whale's got a chainsaw! <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who would rather be sent into space than watch Hellraiser 4. <laughs> a man who spent a long time learning the difference between a whale and a dolphin, only for it to be irrelevant to the episode. <laughs> a man who's trying to design a Nerdfest-themed theme park ride. Ooh, what would that be like? The shameful cap. It's just that the roller coaster just keeps going and then the track stops (laughs) for a bit and you've got to hope you make it over. (laughs) A man who is actively recruiting for a script doctor to punch up his dialogue on the podcast. (laughs) And a woman who's going to dance us out this episode. Are you ready? Yep. Yep. Staying alive, staying alive. Do we have to pay royalties for that now? <laughs> no, because no one will recognise it. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. John, John is pointing to the top shelf of his assorted film merchandise shelving Quick unit. Of the weight. And on the very top shelf, uh, we have got the signed VHS of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is sat next to like a little cuddly Kylo Ren from The Force Awakens and a uh, living dead doll of Chucky who is looking right at us as we speak. I'm not wearing my glasses, so I can't see it. It's no. fine. Um, elsewhere on the shelf, we've got uh, Titanic is on the second shelf down, along with a Star War. Third shelf, we've got a Funko of Iggy Pop and a lot of stuff to do with Mandy. Um, hey, Dan, you'd better not describe all these very valuable items he has. Yeah, um, actually, on the second <laughs> shelf he gets down, broken into. that is a paperback edition of Jaws signed by Peter Benchley. Oh, very good. Um, there looks to be a cuddly facehugger from Alien on shelf number four. The one below that has a set of Batman... Uh, Adam West era TV show action figures still in their original packaging, along with some ombre solaire sun lotion. Uh, <laughs> factor 20. Um, and then down on the bottom, we have got the Batmobile and the TARDIS uh, together at last. And you've been watching Through the Keyhole with Dan yeah. Hawkins. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, which item would you have? You can only save one. You probably could steal one thing from there and I wouldn't notice. <laughs> What's your most prized nerd possession? Oh, actually, is it us? It is, yes. 